Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors, and add blocks. No custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Maybe that's why Bluehost has been recommended by WordPress.org since 2005. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to Bluehost.com slash Wondersuite. That's Bluehost.com slash Wondersuite. Good morning and welcome to Breakthrough Walls. I am Ken Walls and I'm your host. And I am pretty fired up about my guest today. This, um, I've known this guy for a few years now. And um, he's recently, we've reconnected. And and he's now the co-host of the Ken and Glenn show with a guy named Scott. And his name is Scott McCain. And I'd like to welcome Scott to the show. Hey, Ken. How are you? Good to see you. Dude, I am great, man. I, I'm even better that that now that I finally have you. Remember, you were scheduled to be on the show about, what, a year ago, maybe? Year ago, yeah. And you had some kind of a, a, a virus, corona? I, I just gotten back from Australia, and man, I don't know if I picked up a bug on the plane or whatever, but I was I had, I had not been that sick in years and years and years. So uh, yeah. I, I appreciate you. I appreciate you giving me a second chance, pal. That's, <laughs> that's great. Thanks, thanks well, for having me on. Hey, not only that, um, you know, well, we all we already know the story about how it all began with uh, you and me and Glenn Morshower starting up the show that we have going. That's a blast, man. That's, that's my favorite hour and a half of the week. I'm telling you, it's, uh, I, I don't know if that's a comment on my week or if that's a comment on how much fun it is to be with you guys, but we have a great, great time. We really, we really because, uh, some a friend of mine wrote and said, man, I, I didn't know that you guys were such good friends. And I was like, well, we are, we've become that. But yeah. uh, and somebody said, how, how tall is Glenn? And I was like, I don't know. Hello there, Glenn. He's uh, here. He's I've here. Never, I've never met Glenn in person. And they said, gosh, you seem like you three guys have, you know, been together forever. So I, I think that's, uh, that, that was, yeah. I, I took that as quite a compliment. That's, that's really cool. It's, that's yeah. Cool. Uh, how t- um, Glenn, Glenn told me how tall I asked him. I'm like, I, I cause you know, I, I've met so many people online 
that when you meet them in person, you're like, dude, I had no idea you were six five. Yeah. <laughs> or five right? four. <laughs> <laughs> or five four, right? right. Yeah. So uh, Lisa Patrick says, I want to be there when you guys meet in person. That's awesome. <laughs> So, so Scott, I started this show a couple of years ago. Um, I was in a, I was in a bad spot personally. And I thought, you know what, if I just get on and, and start interviewing people and listen to their stories, pick up wisdom, share it with the world. Well, I don't see how that could be a bad thing. It, 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 it should work out well. And it's been incredible. So, you know, this is, this is about you and your life story, man. So let's start with where, I already know a lot of it. I don't think I know everything, but I know Uh-oh. a lot. Of it. <laughs> now I'm really concerned. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so. So um, you know, let's start with where you were born and raised. I'm from a very small town, rural community in uh, southern Indiana, not too far from Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, part of how I describe it is, if you remember the old John Mellencamp song "Small Town," you know the opening line yeah. of that song is, "I was born in a small town," and and I was born in the same small town. Uh, John's older than I, but uh, we were born in the same small town. And, and uh, because our farms were separated by a few miles, I, I went to school in an even smaller town than John sings about. You know, to, to us, that was the big town. They, they had a bowling alley. You know, they were there. Seymour was big. But I'm from Crothersville, Indiana. It's about 1,500 people. And, and uh, my, my folks owned the one grocery store at the time. Uh, in, in Crothersville and we lived on a farm. And uh, so I, I kind of grew up both working a little on the farm and working in the grocery store. And, and I, you know, it, it provided a sense of uh, entrepreneurship that I think that continues to this day. You know, I, I, I've actually, I'm, I try to, if I'm not already booked with something else, I try to make your show every day at three oh, o'clock. Please. Um, three o'clock Eastern, what it's 12 noon there, right? Yeah. Yeah. Noon here um, in Vegas. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and I've seen the melon camps. I haven't seen John, but I've seen the melon camps on like commenting on your stream. Yeah. That's, uh, that is one of the great guys of the world. That's Richard. Who's John's dad. That, uh, oh, really? Who comments, uh, all the time. And, uh, Richard that's is so- just a, a wonderful, wonderful guy. And, uh, I, I, I feel for him like many of the other folks right now because uh, Richard is widowed now, uh, kind of fairly recently. Wow. And, you know, as, as folks try to fight this alone, uh, it, regardless of, you know, who you are or who your son is or what your situation is, it's, it's challenging for everybody, especially if you're, uh, you know, a senior citizen trying to fight this at home. Well, and I'm going to go out on a limb and just guess that John does not live in Crothersville, Indiana. <laughs> well, uh, Seymour, it's his hometown, and it's about 15 oh. miles from Crothersville. But uh, John lives nearby. He lives in Bloomington. So, uh, does he really? University. Yeah. So that's one of the great things of, about John is that uh, he has never left Indiana. And wow. uh, you know, it's, it's, it's no big deal to see John in Seymour or Bloomington. He's just – he's – He's there and he's around all the time. So over over at the the Walmart, hanging out. <laughs> well, I don't know, <laughs> but you you can occasionally see him sucking on a chili dog outside the Tasty Freeze. <laughs> <laughs> so, little Jack and Diane reference. There. I, I, yeah, I got I got I got the reference. That is well, you know, it, it's kind of weird, Ken. I, I you know, like like a lot of folks. Uh, I've got a scrapbook from from high school that my mom kept, and then I 
put some stuff in and and uh, there is a ticket in in my high school scrapbook and it's a basketball game uh, and and the opposing team was Springs Valley High School yeah. and then it said uh, after game dance with crepe soul now that won't mean anything until you realize that Springs Valley High School is in French Lick Indiana and John Mellencamp was the lead singer of Crepe Soul, which meant that Larry Bird played in the basketball game, and then Mellencamp played the dance afterwards. Are <laughs> you kidding me? Yeah. So, so wait, now, so you know John? Uh, we're acquainted. I, I'm, I'm certainly not on his speed dial, but yeah, I, I played drums with him a couple of times back in the day, and and wow. uh, you know, if, if, our, our grandmothers were like best friends, sat together at church. Uh, and uh, John's uncle shopped in our store all the time, and and so wow. I've known Richard for a long time. And, and what about Larry Bird? I met Larry a few times. I, not somebody I really know. I played ball against him one time when I was in high school, um, and I've, I've talked to him on the phone a couple of times. His attorney is is a really close friend of mine, so uh, I, I was uh, I got asked to uh, host a. a Sub substitute when the regular host of a talk show, radio talk show in Indianapolis, he was on vacation and uh, I was really trying to make an impression that my buddy called me and said, well, how about if Larry calls you? And Larry does not do interviews. And uh, everybody at the station was so amazed that uh, Larry Bird called me and talked, you know, wow. <laughs> stayed, stayed on with me for an hour. So he could not have been nicer, but I, you know, it's, it's uh, not a situation where I know Larry, but then uh, you know, we crossed paths a couple of times and, it, it was really a really an interesting time because uh, you know Bird was playing basketball, Mellencamp. Yeah, right. Uh, Bird was playing basketball. Mellencamp was playing the dances. Fuzzy Zeller was local. He was winning all the golf tournaments. David wow. Lennon was doing the weather on the weekends on one station. Diane Sawyer was on another. Jane Pauley was on another. Oh my uh, god! It, it just kind of goes on and on and on. So it was it was a really cool time to uh and place particularly to to have grown up that's insane like there's that you just named off half a dozen pretty famous people all from that area who, who were all you know right there at that particular time so it's wow. uh, it, it was really it, it's crazy to look back on now oh um another guy uh, he was uh, his dad and my father-in-law uh, we're best pals, and uh, he he got the idea that everybody was coming in his dad's tavern to have a drink. Maybe they'd buy some pizzas, so he sold his Camaro to put a pizza oven in his dad's tavern. And this guy's name is John, but it was in the dad's tavern, so he named it Papa John's, and that's where um, we used to buy pizza. Are so, you serious? All right there together. Yeah, it's really crazy. Wow. wow. Well, I, well I'm, so, I'm really wow. a failure from the community. <laughs> <laughs> Everything, you know, everybody else is knocking out of the park. But, that is hilarious. Uh, so, so, um, so growing up there, you, you know, first off, you have like I think the way. Let me see if I can remember the way Glenn said it. You have a voice that you just hope that when you're roaming the halls of heaven that you hear. <laughs> <laughs> right, oh, but you have this, this, well, this voice, look, right? Glenn's got one of the great voices of the world, you know. So every time he says yeah. that, I think I'll, I'll gladly take second place to you, my friend. That's oh my god, incredible. I think Glenn would disagree with that that, that <laughs> placement, but but so so you you 
have, you know, you've developed and, and I know I, again, I know a lot of your story. I don't know that everybody does. So, you know, where did, where did the whole, I mean, it, the, with a voice like yours, it would be insane not to be in some sort of broadcasting speaking capacity. I mean, it'd be like, dude, what? <laughs> what, what did you do with your life? What? So, so what, um, what, where did all that start? What was the genesis of it? You know, I started on my 14th birthday at a local radio station. And frankly, it wasn't because of, of a voice my mom and dad owned the grocery store and the general manager of the radio station figured if he hired me, they'd buy more commercials, right? Spend less money with the newspaper, spend more money at the radio station. Because as every guy knows, when you're about 14, your voice is changing and it doesn't sound like what you're going to sound like when you're an adult. You so, probably sounded like Eric Cornelius still sounds. <laughs> Sorry. He's got, he's always firing shots at me, man. I had to take one. <laughs> well, yeah, I didn't disagree with that last count. No. <laughs> but, uh, so I, I think what happened was, you know, uh, and, and it was, it was a different situation back in those days, you know, cause you, you yeah. could go to high school and have a job and work 40 hours a week. And that's what I did. And I, I, I think part of it was that, um, you know, for, five hours a day, you know, I, I had headphones on and, and listening. It, it's really something. And the, the first time you hear your voice uh, on a recorder of some kind, and it yeah. doesn't sound like you sound to yourself in your head, but with yeah. headphones on, it, it created that accurate, you know, I could hear myself the way others heard me. And I was always trying to drive my voice lower so I'd sound like an adult because I'm 14 years old. I, you know, I, wanted, I wanted to sound like an adult on the radio, not some squeaky kid. Right, and right. Um, I, I think perhaps that was part of it. My dad had a very deep, rich singing voice. Uh, I can't sing, but but maybe genetics is, you know, is part of that, just like being tall or, or whatever. Yeah. Right. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm very blessed and I'm, I, I never never fail to appreciate that because it's, it is a gift. And, and now the, now the question is, well, how do you use your instrument? You know, yeah. can you, can you bring a message of importance um, that, that there's more there than just the voice? So uh, somebody said to me, or maybe it was a comment on one of our Sunday night shows that you sound like Wolfman Jack. <laughs> have, you ever, have you ever been, have you ever heard that? I've heard that a time or two, and then part two because I have a beard. Yeah, that's right. It's right. a little more raspy <laughs> <laughs> than, uh, than me. So the uh, youngsters wouldn't know who that is. Oh no, yeah, no kidding, no kidding. <laughs> but he was a famous, famous DJ. So so you so at fourteen you got on the radio, but like I, you told a story about. Um, where your speaking career began, <laughs> kind of. And again, it goes back to when you were a teenager, right? Yeah. Are you talking about the one at church? Is that? Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah I, I told that one, in fact, uh, before, and, and I, I was asked to substitute for the local minister. He he was, you know, away for a, a Sunday. And they thought it might be cool to let some kid get up and give the sermon. So uh, our, our, our church started at 930 10 o'clock, the preacher started speaking. We'd speak until 10.20, and then we would go to Sunday school. The preacher 
worked at two different churches. So it, it had to be exact. You know, it was always until 1020. So everybody knew at 1020 service was over. We were, we were geared for that. We were meant for that. So I was thrilled to be asked, but terrified to do it. Right. Because yeah. these, these are people I've grown up with. You know, these are all the people that I know. Uh, also, there were, you know, kids I hung out with, students from my school, ones I liked, some I didn't like, and I was going to set those sinners straight during, yeah. during my yeah. time. Over, yeah. right? <laughs> so I, I, I wrote my sermon. I, I, I certainly took myself way too seriously. Um, I, I, I wrote my sermon. I practiced it over and over. I, I, I had a little tape recorder in my bedroom and I practiced it and would listen to it. And I memorized my sermon. I I'd give it in the morning when I'm feeding the cows and my cows had the sermon memorized by the end of the week. <laughs> yeah. So now it's, now it's the time. And I, I walk in at nine 30 and for the first time I'm sitting at the front of church, looking back at all the people, you know, that I've been sitting next to for my yeah. entire life. I've never sat in the front looking back before. And so right. that, that just added to the nervousness, you know, just, just looking at all these people and they're looking at me and there was a big old black General Electric clock hanging on the back wall, and it seemed like it was stopped. That half an hour from 9.30 to 10, <laughs> this instant remains the longest 30 minutes of my life. So now it's 10 o'clock, and I, I don't know if the adrenaline was pumping too much or if I was just too excited. I, I, I sprinted to the pulpit, and man, I laid it out. I told them everything I'd planned on telling them. Told them stuff I hadn't planned. Made stuff up. Quoted, <laughs> quoted the Bible finished with a dynamic prayer, sat down, looked up, and the clock said 10.04. Oh, my God. And so, you know, like most churches, ours wasn't geared for silence. If it was quiet, somebody messed up. You know, the organist is still sitting on the back row, and he's got to get up and head to the front. Nobody knew what to do. And I'm, wow. I'm humiliated. I am just humiliated. I told them every, I had nothing to say. I, had, I, was, I was done, you know. <laughs> and I'm sit, I, I sat down, and I was just oh so... Devastated, and our, our Sunday school superintendent, who, whose name is Leroy Sin, <laughs> we always thought that was so cool that Mister Sin was the superintendent. Yeah. And uh, Leroy got up and he said words I will I will never forget. They 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 really to this day had an impact on my life. And he said uh, he just walked up, uh, stood stood behind the the lectern behind the pulpit, and he said, you know, one of the things that today reminds me of is that we don't express enough appreciation. We don't appreciate our families enough. We don't appreciate mm. each other enough. A lot of times we don't appreciate it enough. When a, when a kid tries to do something, it's normally associated with an adult and really makes an effort. So wow. he, he said, the way that we will end our service this morning is let's stand up and we'll all sing that old hymn, count your blessings, name them one by one. Wow. And that created for me, you know, we hear a lot about the attitude of gratitude, and I, I think that's really critical. Yeah. But I think it's even more critical that we actually make a list and name the things that we appreciate. The attitude is important, but it, it's funny that when you start focusing and noticing those things that you appreciate, all of a sudden you'll notice more things. I mean, the, the, the thing I mentioned on my show yesterday was I, I kind of relate it to when you buy a car. Right. You go and you buy a car. And as soon as you drive off the lot, all of a sudden, all of a sudden it seems like everybody else in the world is driving that car. Right? Yep. Yeah, you, you never noticed it before. But now that that's your new car, everybody's driving that car. And, and psychologists call it the reticular activating system. 
In other words, something in our brain switches on. So now we start noticing that more than we did before. So when, when we appreciate, and not just the attitude of gratitude, but actual active yeah. gratitude, then all of a sudden we notice more things to appreciate. And that builds momentum in, in terms of our gratitude, which in turn, I think, helps motivate us to do more and, and, and better things in our lives and in our business for the future. I totally agree with that, man. I <clears throat> I live by that principle. I, it's the only thing that I can think of that it certainly isn't my intellect that, that got me to where I am. So I had to be like focusing on things to be grateful for. So, so, and how old were you were, how old were you when you did the church thing? Uh, then I was about 13. It was right before I started in radio. So I was 12, 13. And, and did you, did you, at that moment though, did you feel like, well, I'm never going to do public speaking again. Oh. Of course. Are you kidding me? I'll never do this again. You can't make me do this again until my ag teacher in school said, oh, you don't have to do it. You'll fail the course if you don't. But (laughs) you call that motivation. You know, it's it's talk or F. And so uh, uh, that's for me, speaking got started because of my membership in the FFA. Now, back then it was Future Farmers of America. Now it just stands for FFA because it's, uh, it, it's and, and I, I was so fortunate too, because my farm was so small because my folks also had the grocery store. Yeah. Uh, I, I was on the front edge of the change when it moved from just being farming to being all of agriculture. For example, uh, where you are has some of the top FFA programs in the country in urban Columbus, because it's small animal care for veterinary medicine. It's turf management for golf courses. So anything that's growing in terms of, you know, animals or plants is now covered by what they do. And I, I was fortunate because I did the farm broadcasts on my local radio station. So rather than farming being my project for FFA, broadcasting was my project. And it got me speaking and being on the air are two totally different things because when I was on the air, I was sitting in a room by myself. Right. Uh, right. Stand up and speak and look at people in the eye is a totally different skill. And, it is. you know, you, it's just, I, I have a friend here in Vegas, Darren LaCroix, who won the world championship of speaking for Toastmasters. And Darren's great line is there's three things that make you a great speaker, stage time, stage time, stage time. And <laughs> right. You, you got to pay your dues. You've got to get on the stage. You, you've got to get in the reps. And fortunately for me, FFA gave me the, the opportunity and, and the privilege of the platform to, to do that. I, I, after I graduated high school, I was elected state president in Indiana. And then I was a national officer the year after that, which meant I took two years off of college to do nothing but travel and speak. Um, I, we, we joke that it's kind of like being the agricultural Miss America, uh, that, you wow. know, that all, you do nothing but give speeches, you know, an average day is you give a Kiwanis club speech, then you do two high school assemblies, then you speak at a noontime rotary club, and then you do another high school assembly and visit classes. And then at night you speak at a parent member banquet or a farm city banquet, and then they drive you for two or three hours to get to the next city to do it all over again. And you spend two years of your life doing that. And, wow. you know, it's it's just it gets the hard work and it gets gets the reps in to, to help you uh, connect and communicate with with your audience. Well, as Jude says here, that's that's what yeah. you have to do is you have to learn, you know, you have to learn the skills and the techniques because 
to, to me, a good speech is really an extended conversation. Right. That, that you take how we talk when we're together one-on-one. Yeah. And, and you learn the techniques to broaden that so that every person in the audience feels like you're talking to them and with them, but not at them. Right. And that's, that's really the difference. My, you know, I, I don't know if you know this, but my wife, Jill, I know you know Jill, um, but she ran, she was the marketing director at the Ohio State Fair for eight years. Yeah. One and of the so, great state fairs in America. I mean, it's one yeah. of the two or three in the nation. Yeah, it, it, it really is. And she, so she's huge with, she loves FFA because it's, you know, I mean, and that's the, that's the thing. I don't know much. I mean, although I was, I was raised in a farming community and you know, there were only 80 kids in my, my senior class. Um, but you know, the FFA was huge. I mean, it was huge, huge. And I, I think it still is in, in a lot of areas in rural America. Even in urban America, it's it's amazing. FFA membership top three quarters of a million this year, over 750,000 young people. Our FFA members today, biggest biggest membership in history of the organization. Awesome. So it, it's really showing. But but part of what they're also doing, and it really applies to what's happening right now, is helping educate and train young people to be part of this supply chain of food. Yeah. So it's not just the production; it's how do we get it to the plate, and how do we do so in a way that's healthy, and how do we do so in a way that's sustainable. And, right. and those are critically critically important skills for the future because. You know, agriculture is, is I, I know I'm prejudiced, but I, I believe it's our most important industry. You know, if we, if, if we can't eat, not too much else is going to happen. And, and <laughs> No, that's right. It's, it's it, is, it's, it is important. So, so and, you know, something else that, that's a byproduct of, I don't know what it is with this shirt. Not I, I need to find a new dry cleaner. But, the you know, the... Um, the work ethic that comes from being raised in on a farm. I mean, it, it, there's not, I mean, I can say and, and that I've bailed hay yeah. uh, and, and I'm just going to put it out there. I'm pretty sure there's not a more difficult job on the planet today. It's a lot more automated, but back then you're picking up these bales of hay and throwing them up to a guy on the, on the trailer and, and, and and then you know as they stack them you're throwing them higher <laughs> you know as you're getting more tired you have to throw them higher exactly. so you know it's, and as you're getting hotter and sweatier <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, working in tobacco and baling hay are the two hardest things i've ever done in my life and i have yeah. i have great admiration for those who do and no desire to see <laughs> to do it again you know? and feeding you know getting up early I, d- did you guys have a milk Milk no, no, we did not have dairy. Thank goodness, oh, okay. that. I've, got, I've got a couple of really, really great close friends that uh, grew up on dairy farms and were part of the dairy industry. And you know, the cows don't know it's Sunday. <laughs> the cows, <laughs> the cows no. don't know it's Christmas. And it doesn't matter what day of the week it is, holiday or whatever. Those cows have to be milked. And man, I'm telling yeah. you what, that is the most. I, I have such great admiration for those in that particular field of agriculture because, and there, there's one that's changed too in terms of corporate farming. You know, moving from the family farm, but it's uh, it's really something. I, I didn't mean for this to be the FFA show, but the, yeah, it, I know. When you, it struck me when you said that the motto of FFA that we all have to learn is learning to do, but the next line is doing to learn. Oh, 
God, I love that. Doing to learn, earning to live, living to serve. And and today, that motto, I think, is still still so applicable. It's that not only do we learn to do, but we also have to do it to learn it. So true, man. Earn to live. Not take handouts, not, but we earn to live, but then we should live to serve. And, and that has been the motto since 1928. And it's, uh, it's wow. as relevant today as it, as it ever has been. It needs to become more relevant. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Somebody type that in there. I'd love to have that up on the screen. And I'm being lazy. So I'm asking somebody <laughs> hey, else. Bill, thanks. <laughs> you bet. <Yeah. laughs> so, so, um, all right. So, so at some point though, you, um, well, I, let's just, let's, did you go to college? Yeah, I, I went to uh, Franklin College, which is a, a small liberal arts school about 20 miles south of Indianapolis uh, okay. for a very academic reason. The guy that owned the radio station I worked for also owned the radio station in Franklin. <laughs> oh, so, really? Yeah. I was going to have to work my way through school. And so he said, well, if, if you go to Franklin, you got a job, you know? And so, well, most of my friends were going to uh, Indiana University or Purdue University. Uh, I had a job from day one when I went to Franklin. The, the funny thing was I, I ended up not working that much in radio there because I, I took the two years off for FFA. Well, when I got to college, people started calling me to come back and speak to other meetings. And so I paid my way through college going and giving these little speeches. Wow. Um, so I, I couldn't, I couldn't do that and work in radio and go to college. So, um, what did, so you're only 20, what, 20, 19, 20 years yeah, old. I, I, I started college when I was 20. So, uh, okay. What does a 20 year old have to give a speech about that people are willing to listen to? Uh, well, <laughs> I'm sorry. No, no, offense, no, no. I, that's, that's what I had to confront it. You know, I, I've likened it that, to, to the old line about, you know, the dog walking on its hind legs. It doesn't have to walk that great. You're just amazed it can, you know? <laughs> so you, you put a 20 year old in front of an audience and if they have any kind of ability at all, people are just amazed. Oh, that kid can talk, you know, that, but the other thing was because of my FFA experience, you know, I, I had sat one-on-one -on -one with the chairman of General Motors. I had been in, I had been in the Oval Office uh, talking to the president. Um, I had these incredibly uh, diverse experiences. I had given a talk inside the Kremlin uh, in Moscow. So at, at twenty uh, years old, yeah, yeah, and so to get up and talk about those experiences. You know, it gave me experiences to talk about that made it unique in 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 what I was, you know, what I was bringing. Um, and, wow! And so, the, here's here's the other thing that happened too is that, you know, I, I knew that I loved speaking. I, I I hoped I would be able to continue to do some of it. At that particular point, I thought what I was probably going to have to do was to go get a job somewhere and do something else. Right. Uh, but what I did is I I kept. I kept a book and in every community, you know, people, people love to help if they know that you're sincere, if they know that you're humble and if they know that you really want their, their help. I mean, people love to help. Yeah. And so what would happen is somebody would come up to me after a speech and they might run the hardware store in town or they might, you know, 
mom's president of the local bank or whatever. And they would come up and they would give me an idea. Well, I would write that down and then I'd start using it in my speeches. You know, hey, I haven't been president of a bank, but Mrs. Smith, in the last, she is in, in, you know, this community. And one of the things that she said was this. Well, one of two things would happen. People would either write it down, go, oh, that's a good idea. So they'd write that down or else somebody would come up after a speech and say, you know, I think I've got a better idea about that. Here it, well, I'd write that down. Wow. Well, so now you go from 20 to 30 and you're still a young speaker at 30, but I've got a decade worth of, of frontline leaders, entrepreneurs, giving me these ideas about what has made their business and their life successful. Yeah. And it was the greatest learning laboratory you could have imagined. So not to mention the leaders of the free world and the Kremlin and yeah. And and what I would find too is, you know, some of the parallels that Gerald Ford had told me with with what Mrs. Smith at the First National Bank had told me. And you combine those together, and I wasn't speaking. At the beginning, I obviously wasn't speaking from my expertise. You know, there's yeah. we, we joked about this the other day uh, with with Glenn. You know, you, you don't want to hear a 20 year old kid sing my way. You, you ain't got a way <laughs> at, at at that age. You know, that's so, and, that's so funny. So what happens is, you know, I, I wasn't speaking, and I, I was real open about it. You know, that's that's the other thing. Hey, I'm not speaking from my expertise, but my expertise is I have had the privilege of listening to a lot of really smart people. And here's what they've said. I had a couple things happen. The college, Franklin College hired me to be their director of public affairs and annual fund, which meant I was in charge of PR for the college. But more importantly, I was in charge of raising the cash gifts for the college. Wow. And the person before me had raised a four and a quarter, 425,000. Uh, I raised just under a million. Um, and they offered me a raise of a thousand dollars. Wow! It's true. They offered me a raise from twelve thousand to thirteen thousand a year. And at that point, I decided wow. higher education was not for me. So, <laughs> nice. So I was really fortunate that a radio station in Columbus, Indiana, uh, said, "You know, hey, why don't you come to work for us? And you can take off on the days that you have speeches." So it gave me a solid income. It gave me flexibility and schedule. It gave me benefits. And uh, the other thing was they put me on middays, which was the perfect time because I, you know, I went off the air at two o'clock. Well, there's a lot of places in Indiana, Ohio, Michigan, Kentucky, Illinois, you could drive to if you left at two o'clock and still make a banquet, which was mostly yeah. what I was speaking at at that time. And um, so I, I put in another few years there and it was just about growing, growing my business. And, and did you, did you back then though, did you, did you have a, um, cause like, look, and I know that with FFA, you did a lot of travel and speaking, but did you know that you were going to be this international, like you've spoken in almost every country in the world, haven't you? Yeah. Just, just about. Yeah. That's insane, dude. Yeah, it's 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 crazy. It's that little town. It's it's uh, and that's and that's why I talk about FFA because it was yeah, it's like Glenn Glenn told us that story you know back in the day. You're well. <laughs> back in the day. Back in the day. Well, in uh, my day, 
<laughs> my nine-year-old daughter will say once in a while, I've wanted that my entire life. I'm like, you're oh, nine. You're nine. Been that long. I'm like, what are you talking about? Uh, you know, but you know, that's that's I, I I think that is one of the most important things that FFA did for me, and I think it's one of the most important things that we can do for other people, and that is let them see opportunity beyond what's first immediately apparent. Um, it 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 doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter, you know, who your folks were or what what's happened to you so far in your life. I mean, it does matter to you, but it doesn't matter in terms of your success. I mean, right. you can tell me the most horrific things possible that a person can endure. And I can tell you somebody that's probably been through a very similar circumstance that, that has achieved great things. And Amen. So what we have to do is to find, oh, Charles, that Charles is, is, one, is one of the greats, man. I, I, I dig Charles. He's he is a, uh, a a real estate god in Silicon Valley. So, uh, oh, really? Yeah, nice. Yeah, he's 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 an awesome guy. Um, but uh, you know, it's it, it's part of what we have to do is to understand that uh, you, your limitations primarily are those that you set for yourself. And um, wow, I, I, I've just been. And don't get me wrong, I realize I have been so fortunate. It it's uh, you know. Uh, there, many of the things that, that, that have happened in my life uh, happen because of, of good fortune. But then you have to do something with it when you get there. You know, um, yeah, yeah. I, I was given a speech in Indianapolis and Arnold Schwarzenegger was in the audience. And uh, that's that's just dumb luck. You know, I mean, you, you, you couldn't have planned that. And then Arnold asked me to be the speaker in the, the master ceremonies at the Great American Workout on the White House lawn. So here I am on the White House lawn, the president in the audience and everything else. And, uh, and I'm giving this speech. Well, it was good fortune to be there. But once once your number is called, you got to deliver the goods. And, and that's where all of those nights of, you know, driving through the night in my my old Ford Thunderbird and, and sometimes even pulling off at a rest park and sleeping in the car and, and having yeah. that bar that goes across the back seat, you know, that hooks the two coat hangers together <laughs> and hang up stuff across your yeah. back seat. And, you know, no, nobody sees that. Nobody sees, you know, you, you uh, stopping at truck stops so you can stay awake while you're driving from, you know, Waterloo to Ottumwa uh, for, yeah. for your program. But that's and that was back that was back before they had the rumble strips on the road to wake you up. That's right. It really was. <laughs> you found oh. yourself in the ditch. Go gosh. Yeah. Yeah. It, I, I owe my I owe my life to WLS out of Chicago that I could turn up really loud as I was driving in the middle of the night, you know, to keep me awake. So but nobody sees that. And that's that's no. that's the other thing I found in so many successful people is that uh, once they attain that level of success, people go, oh, aren't they lucky? And I do think good fortune plays a part of that, you know, however you define that in your own way, whether it's a a blessing or whether it is just good fortune, but it is paying your dues to that point that enables you to perform once that opportunity presents itself. And so it's not just good fortune. It's, you know, it's, uh, you know, I, I, I did movie reviews for a while uh, at, at a couple of different television stations it was syndicated. And, and one of the first mo- movies that I ever reviewed was Risky Business. I go to the theater and, and, and 
Tom Cruise went to high school in Louisville. And so I ended up sitting behind his mother and grandmother as they watched him on screen. And we had a short chat afterwards and just talking about, you know, all that he had done to get to the point, you know, all of the other roles that he had and how hard he had worked to get to that point. And I thought it's, you know, it's, it's what I'm doing right now in speaking in, in a much smaller, less significant way, but you know, all the, Dues paying that he did, that was good fortune to get cast as the lead in that movie. But he had to deliver the goods once he got it. And, yeah. and, and he did. And then he had to deliver again as there was more pressure on him in the second. And it, it just goes on and on like that. So that, that's you, you can't miss out on the reps. You can't miss out on the repetitions that, that secure your ability. I say that quite often, like, you know, we live in this microwave society, like everybody wants it now. And you've got Ty Lopez on video saying, just hanging out here in my garage with you know his yeah. Lamborghinis. And, and he, you know, people are on social media making it look so easy. And, and man, that's just not, it's very, very, very rare that you see somebody that just, you know, it almost seemed like they, they achieved massive success um, with little work. <laughs> it's very rare. Well, and, and even if they do attain it, they don't sustain it. That's it, right. Like, right. It's, it's like yeah. we read all the time that lottery winners have gone broke, yeah. um, you know, is that they, they attain it, but they can't sustain it because they, again, they haven't done the hard work necessary. Oh, Glenn, you're the best, man. Thank you. He is. I'm, I'm grateful you were in my life, and I, I appreciate you so so much. So, uh, Look, yeah. he's honored. Wow. The honor's ours. Oh, <laughs> At least that's the way I feel. I, I feel the same way, Ken. Yeah. So so at some point um, in this this story, you – you you started taking bigger stages than than what the FFA. Well, I mean, hold it. The White House is fairly. I mean, that that's kind of big. Yeah, the <laughs> convention has about twenty twenty five thousand people. So, that was, jeez, that was that was pretty big. So that's huge. Yeah. How how do you how do you um how do you even how do you prepare mentally to walk out on a stage where you're facing 25,000 people, man? How do you? Fortunately, it comes at the end of your term, not to begin, but I've, I've spoken to 20 to 25,000 people five, six times. And, and you know, what's really, you know, what's really weird. It's easier than speaking to a hundred. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, it really is. Um, for one wow. thing, when you, when you walk on a stage with 25,000 in the audience, the audience presumes, well, you know, she's got to be good. He's got to be good. They wouldn't put anybody in front of us in this unless they were really good. So the audience anticipates that what you're doing is, is, is going to be really good. So yeah. the audience is in a great frame of mind. And let's face it, conferences that big or events that big, man, you've got the light show. You've got the sound. You've got, I mean, it's the production value is is off the charts so it's it's strange in that because the lights and everything you can't see the audience it's like you're speaking into a black hole almost yeah crowd reaction is always over the moon and i mean it's it's just been an extraordinary experiences you stand up in front of 50 people 
And they're all looking you in the eye, and half of them are sitting there going, well, let's see what you got to say, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> right. Back in their you, phones. You, think you know, you know, and, and so it, it, that, that becomes a little, a little more challenging and stressful than, uh, than the other way around. You know, I, I, when I've, when I've spoken a couple of different times, I, I, I always notice when people get up and like go to the bathroom <laughs> and it bothers me <laughs> like, what, where are you going? I want to call what my I say, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I have to tell you in today's world too, that's, that is truly a fear of mine is that, um, I would never say anything from the stage that I mean to intentionally uh, offend or upset anyone. Yeah. But I also know that when it's spoken, that people come into the meeting with their own, you know, with their own deal that's going on, right? I mean, they whether they might have had a bad morning, they might be going through a divorce, they might be a, you know, whatever it might be, and yeah. because of the way that they're hearing it. See, the, the audience doesn't respond to what you say. They respond to what they perceive that you said and that you meant. And so it can create a situation. Um, and, and thank goodness I've, I've not really had it happen, but I, I'm, I'm always concerned that someone might take what I say in a way that I don't intend it. And then from that, infer that that. I mean something that I don't, and right, it, right. it becomes a real. It becomes a challenge. Into that, we're you know you mentioned we're a microwave society. We're also a highly sensitive society today, and um, yep. it it, it can create some challenges from us that the speakers in the past really didn't face or or, or really didn't concern themselves with. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. Well, done talking, right? Yeah, yeah. So so. <clears throat> And what was you've you've written eight books mm -hmm. or nine? Didn't you just turn in? Was it eight or I nine? It hadn't been published yet, but I, I just turned in the manuscript for number nine. That's insane, man. So where in the world did that start? What what made you? So here you are, this FFA rock star. Um, then you become a speaker at local events, and that starts growing and growing, and 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 you're now an international speaker. You're in the speakers hall of fame, right? Right. Congratulations on that, by the way. Um, but you've written now nine books. Why, where, where did that start? Like how, how did you go, Hey, I'm going to write a book. What was the, you know, it, it's really funny. Um, I, I, when I was doing the movie reviews, I would spend time in Hollywood or in New York, you know, watching a movie that was about to be released and interviewing the stars of that film. Yeah. So I had the privilege of interviewing, gosh, you name it, Quentin Tarantino and Robert Zemeckis and James Cameron as directors. I've, I've interviewed, you know, Tom Hanks and John Travolta and Meryl Streep and Robert Duvall and, and just on and on and on. But what I realized is there were things that show business was doing about creating an experience that regular businesses needed to know and understand as well. So I started this speech called All Business is Show Business, that the, the, the purpose of any business is to create customer experiences that are, yeah. that are as compelling as what a, a person receives when they go to the theater or they get engaged in a television show or, or, or whatever. And uh, 
that became a pretty popular speech. Along that time, somebody came out with a book called The Experience Economy, and everybody was saying, good grief, Scott, this is what you've been talking about for the last five, six, seven years. Wow. But yet awesome. they were considered to be the founders of that because they wrote the book. And I realized that speaking alone wasn't enough to put your flag in the ground about your intellectual content, your intellectual property. You also right. have to get, it, get it in the book. At the same time, uh, FFA asked me to come back and speak at the national convention. They were, they were kind of excited, I guess, about how well my speaking career was going. And, and I get out there and, and I couldn't wait because Zig Ziglar was, was one of the other keynote speakers and I had never heard him in person. And my wife and I check in the hotel and there's a message at the front desk and it says, uh, please call this room number for Mr. Ziegler. And I'm like, oh, holy cow. You know, and Zig answers the phone and wanted to know what my wife wow. and I were doing for dinner that night. Could he take us to dinner? And I, I, I've said I felt like a little league shortstop and all of a sudden <laughs> there's a says, hey, you want to get a Coke? And I, I was just blown away. So we go to dinner with Zig that night. And it's just the three of us. And he said, you know, Scott, I've been looking and I, I couldn't couldn't find your book. I've heard about your all business is show business, but I, I couldn't find a book. And I said, well, Zig, I, you know, I've, I've never written a book. And he said, I haven't either. And my wife and I kind of look at each other like we've got eight on the shelf. You know, what, what, yeah, right. what's and uh, he said, but, you know, every morning I get up and I write three pages. And after about six months, people tell me I got a book. And it was like the light bulb went on over top of my head. And he said, you know, writing a book, I'm sure, seems so overwhelming, so daunting. How do I get started? He said, so you don't write a book. You write three pages today. And tomorrow you get up and write three more pages. And, that, and there you go. And so I got up the next morning, and that was the first three pages of All Businesses Show Business. And uh, I, I was very, very fortunate because... Uh, Friends of mine in the music business connected me with the William Morris Agency. So I, I had for that book, I had one of the leading literary agents in the world and and uh, got, it, got it published through uh, Thomas Nelson Publishers, which is now with HarperCollins. And uh, so my, my first book that I wrote uh, was published by a major publishing house and, and uh, did, did very, very well. So uh, it, it really it. it taught me the importance of it. And the other thing is it's I'm really big on is that you have to get what's important to you down in writing. It really taught me that because yeah. when, when it's down in writing, it, it just solidifies, it solidifies your thinking. It solidifies how you approach things. It, it really adds substance to yeah. your words and thoughts. So that's something I've really worked on and, and I've really tried it. And, and so now, man, I, I just can't imagine a time where I'm not writing. Uh, it, it's not that I, I, I don't do that every day, but if uh, I already know what I want my next book to be. So we'll go through wow. the process of getting this one out. And then it, then it becomes the, how you crystallize the idea and formulate the idea and, and, and proceed there. So are you, are you writing like on a laptop? Are you yeah. handwriting this stuff? Yeah. I'm, I'm punching out on the, on the good old MacBook pro. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, it, it's it's kind of funny. I've, I've learned that just like speaking, writing is like a muscle. And the more you use it, the stronger it gets. Uh, and, and, and part of how I learned that is that 
the, the, the publisher, you know, you always have an editor that edits what you do and makes suggestions and, and, and kind of becomes, particularly for a first time author, becomes your writing coach. And they said, you got to go back and rewrite the first half of your book. And I'm like, why don't you like it? They said, it's obvious that you're getting better as you're writing. And so the end of the book doesn't sound like the same person writing the beginning of the book. Mm. And we need to have that same voice all the way through. And we really like the end. And that gave me the confidence that I, I, I don't think I'm a great writer, but I, I think I can get by and, and hopefully the, the <laughs> concepts are good. And so I, I went back and it really gave me a lot more confidence about my writing. And so when I finished that, I couldn't wait to get started on the next one. So. Wow, man, that is so incredible. So you, you, um, <clears throat> you tell a story and you know, you know, I'm going to bring it up. <laughs> what story am I getting ready to bring? Oh, up? you're going to ask about taxi Terry. Yes. <laughs> Dude, that, and, and again, I know some people have, have heard it that are watching now. But there are people that haven't, and I think that it's 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 an iconic story. <laughs> but I'm bumped. So <laughs> I, I, I what's that? I see what you did there. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it really is. It's a, it's such an, an an impactful and very important story. Do you mind sharing it one more time? <laughs> one more time. I'm sorry, Ken. I don't take requests. <laughs> Daggone it. Well, the, the, the quick and dirty version of, of Taxi Terry, and uh, uh, it's, it, 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 that's another thing that became a book. Uh, but, um, I, I, I was given a speech in Jacksonville, Florida, and the flight was late, and I'm tired, and it's late, and I've got to meet the client for breakfast in the, in the next morning, and I just want to get to the hotel and get to bed. It's going to be a very, very short night. I, I drag my old beat up suitcase, my old tired body, and I get it out of the airport and I, I get to the line for cabs. And this is pre Uber days. And it, the, the line is much longer than I anticipated. So now I got to stand this long line and wait for the cab. And I, you know, I'm, I'm half asleep and I'm just kind of hearing what other cab drivers are saying as they're picking up passengers, you know, cash or credit, where are you heading? How many in your party? Uh, finally, now I get to the front line. Next cab's mine. I'm standing there literally eyes half shut, just got to get in the cab, get to the Marriott, get to bed, sleep four hours, get that, you know? Yeah. And all of a sudden this, my cab pulls up, you know, the next cab pulls up and my driver does something completely different. He jumps out of the cab and points at me in the front of the line and shouts, are you ready for the best cab ride of your life? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I guess so get in. Now I'm afraid. Yeah, right. <laughs> so I get the back seat of the guy's cab, and he jogs over and gets my bags, and he jogs back and he puts them in the trunk, and he jumps in the driver's seat, and he spins around to be in the back, and he sticks out his hand, and says, "Mr. McCain." And I went, "Well, <laughs> yeah, but how'd you know my name?" He said, "Saw it on your luggage. Figured I might as well use it." Oh wow! He said, "I'm Taxi Terry." So I'm thinking, why did I get the motivational cab driver? <laughs> <laughs> Where are we heading tonight, Mr. McCain? I said, well, the Marriott downtown. Fantastic, sir. How long are you going to be in Jacksonville? Just a couple of days. He said, great. Let's check out the weather. <laughs> it's after midnight. I don't care if there is weather. You know, right. I, 
and he touches the dash and it lights up. He's got an iPhone at a very elaborate bracket, magnifying glass over the screen. I can read it in the back seat. He's live real time set to the Weather Channel app. I can see the seconds ticking off. I have the up to the instant forecast for my stay. I could have seen it on my own phone, but it wasn't cool he thought to provide something extra to a customer. Man, yeah. I hope you're a golfer, Mr. McCain. You're going to have two awesome days in Jacksonville. Tell me, sir, why you're here. And I said, well, IBM asked me to come down and work with him on a project about customer service. He goes, customer service? He's going crazy. He said, I am so into that. Can wow. I record our conversation? And he reaches up and he hits this button. And I'm like, who are you really? <laughs> you work for IBM, don't you? Yeah, I'm like, you know, I, I think I'm in cash cab or, or taxi cab confessions. You know, what, what's going on here? And uh, he said, well, what I do is if I'm driving Dr. Smith to the airport, he's, he's a good local customer. And during the ride, he mentions that his daughter, Jill, has just enrolled at Vanderbilt. Well, as soon as he gets out of the cab, I hit my button. I record that. He said, every day I get home then, and I take these recordings I made throughout the day, and I enter that information into my database. Uh, <laughs> cab drivers. Taxi Terry has a database? Database, right? So, so he says, uh, uh, he, he said, so the next time the doctor gets in the cab, he said, I'm driving to the airport the second time, and I'll turn to him, and in conversation, I'll say, it's really great to see you again, doctor. I've been wondering, how is Jill doing at Vanderbilt? Oh, my God. And he said, do you think anybody else is going to, you know, take him to the airport? No, you've got that customer for life, right? Wow. And he told me some of the other innovative things that he's doing, and, and it was just just incredible. So now he gets me to the hotel, right? So we've all, all we know the drill here. The cab driver gets to the hotel, hands you two things, sometimes printed on the same form, but it's a receipt and yeah. their business card. So you, if you're like me, I, I keep the receipt, right, for tax purposes. Yeah, yeah. You just take whatever cab's sitting there, right? They're all the same. But Taxi Terry fools me again. He, he runs to the back, gets my bag out of the trunk, holds it as if it were kin, walks wow. my bag to the bellman. He hands the bellman, my suitcase, and says, presenting Mr. McCain. <laughs> I've never been presented before, right? And he turns me around and says, Mr. McCain, I realize that you'll need a receipt for your business purposes. Someone brought you here. Someone's got to return you, and I, I hope that's me. You can print out your receipt and reserve your return trip on my website, taxiterry.com. Oh, my gosh. Here's cab driver web presence, right? Oh, my gosh. Blew me away. So now the next morning, I get up, give him a little speech. And, well, that's the biggest thing that's happened to me, right? <laughs> so I, I start my speech. Right? In 10 years. Yeah, I'm saying, hey, last night at the airport, this guy said, are you ready for the best cab ride of your life? The audience in unison goes, Taxi Terry. <laughs> I have no idea, right? He's their official driver. He's their official cab driver. Wow. And he sold them a service agreement, which is pretty amazing. It taught me so many things. It, it taught me so many things about, first of all, if there's any business that you think it would be really hard to stand out, being a cab driver would be it, right? I mean, Uber's kicking their tail, Lyft. Uh, it, it's... But yet he continues to do that. I, I, I got a message a couple of weeks ago from uh, 
my good friend, Laura Otting, that wrote the book Limitless. And, and she was in Jacksonville and she thought, let's just see. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so Taxi Terry took her to the airport and she was like, oh, it's so cool. You know, she got to meet Taxi Terry. So his name is Terry Souls and it really is TaxiTerry.com. And wow. he is just, he's, he's surviving and thriving in spite of enormous competition, which is a great business lesson, regardless of what business that you're in is yeah. personalize the experience, you know, set the, set the tone for the experience. And so there are seven basic things I learned from that. And that became the book, the seven tenets of taxi Terry, uh, that McGraw Hill published uh, a few years back. That is absolutely that's uh, one of my favorite stories uh, ever. Like it really, it's an incredible story, man. Well, so, you know, the thing is too, I, you know, I was talking about good fortune earlier. I think what if I'd been one guy earlier or later in that cab line? Right. <laughs> there, there's an entire book that was created out of that experience. Thank goodness. I wasn't, you know, one, one person back and somebody else got Terry. That, that, that was good fortune. Now, are you and Terry friends? We stayed in touch. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, it's, uh, uh, I mean, uh, you wrote a book about the guy. Yeah. You know, the, the funny thing is, and I, I was really grateful about this. Uh, he called our office and he said, do you mind if I put that on my website? I'm like, no, I'd be thrilled if you would, because I think a lot of times what happens is, you know, we've been kind of conditioned for this. You hear a speaker tell a story. And even if the story is good, I, I think there's, Somewhere, yeah, Joe, you're right. It could have been miserable, Mikey. That was that's my typical cab ride, rather than yeah, right. you're exactly right, Joe. Uh, you know, I, I think what happens is sometimes we in the audience think, "Yeah, but did that really happen?" And yeah. and I, that's what I told yeah. Terry. I'm so grateful that he put that on his website because you know I, I, I'll tell that story. I literally see people pull out their iPhones, you know, and they're typing in. TaxiTerry.com just to see if he's, you know, and it's funny because there was one you see in the audience, somebody going, he's real, he's real. <laughs> yeah. So one of the changes I made is now in my speeches, I put up a slide of, of Taxi Terry uh, so, oh, that so that it, it really is a real person and it really is, you know, a, a story based in what, what really happened. You know, that story, and I've, I've told a, version of your story and i you know i always mention you but um like anybody that's that's i think that there is a a there's this thing that people get like the woe is me syndrome right yeah. and 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 he is the complete opposite of that it's all about the attitude and it's all businesses show business it really is. I mean, it doesn't matter what. And, and I think part of what's overlooked, Ken, with that theme is that uh, <laughs> he's getting a lot of business, Joe. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> Good marketing for Terry. Yes, it I mean, is. made more off my book than I have <laughs> from, <laughs> from people that read the book and go right with it. Right, right. You know, what people mistake when I say all business is show business is many times they think of show businesses laughter and song and dance but i mean right. schindler's list was was a part of show business yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, the the purpose of show business is not necessarily to make us laugh or 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 sing it's to make us feel it's to create an experience 
And, yeah. and the experience is different depending upon, you know, the, the particular production, just like the experience of a funeral home ought to be different than the experience of a car dealer. So yeah. it's, it's creating the appropriate emotional connectivity in a way that's so compelling to your customer that they don't want to go anywhere else. That's right. To me, that's the purpose of business. The, the purpose of any business is to properly create experiences that are so compelling to the customer that their loyalty becomes assured. And, and, and when you can create an experience that's so compelling that customers' loyalty is assured, another thing that's going to happen is they're going to tell other people about it. And as, as far as I've been able to see over the many years I've been researching this, repeat and referral business is the lifeblood of business success. Amen, man. Amen. I, I think, and what happens is a lot of, of business owners, um, executives, not necessarily an owner, but C-level, C-suite level people, their egos get out of control sometimes. And it, it just, that that's, that's probably the fastest way to destroy a, a business is allow egos to run it on that level. Ken, Ken, I think there's two primary problems. And for entrepreneurs, the initial problem is what attracted you to your business typically isn't what will sustain your business. Uh, here, here's an example. I've, I've done a lot of speaking, uh, you know, companies like PPG will, will yeah. have to speak to auto body owners, uh, you know, right. body shop owners, uh, auto repair shop owners because they're using their paints, right, right, to fix the cars, to repair the cars. So they'll have me come in and talk to them. And, and without exception, every person I've met that founded an auto repair shop got in it because they liked working on cars. Right, right. And none of them said, gee, what business could I get in that I could serve customers? Right. No, they want to be around cars. And so it's the customer thing that they have to learn. The problem is there's a lot of people good at working on cars. And so technical proficiency is now not a differentiator anymore. It used to be a differentiator, isn't anymore. The differentiator now is how do you connect with your customers, which is the very thing that those entrepreneurs haven't learned the basic skills of how to do. They haven't been trained for that. They've trained themselves in how to fix a car, but they haven't trained themselves into what it takes, the specific steps for customer retention and customer referrals. So yeah. with entrepreneurs, it's that particular problem. You get to bigger corporations, and I think the problem is their education. I, I, I'm, I don't know if it's changed since, but at the time that I did it, I was the only non-doctor, the non-surgeon, to have keynoted the meeting of the American Academy of Cosmetic Surgeons. I had a chance to keynote that event. And one of the things that I've discovered in the research for that program is you can go to college, you can go to medical school, you can be an intern, you can be a resident, you can get your specialty in surgery and go through that entire process without taking a single course at some schools on bedside manner, on how you communicate with patients. Right. I thought, holy cow, you know, what, what's going to determine a lot of the success or failure of a particular medical practice is how they treat their patients, yet no medical, few medical schools are, are educating doctors in how to do that. But then I got the blinding flash, the obvious. Could you get your MBA without that? And the answer is at most schools, yes. 
you can get an MBA without taking a single course on customer experience, which means that you get these people who are now highly trained and educated in understanding EBITDA, how to read a balance sheet, what, what ratios look like in terms of publicly traded stocks, on and on and on, but they don't know about the most fundamental thing for their organization, which is how to create and sustain a customer relationship. And so when it comes to that, their ego gets in the way because as you said, Ken, and I think you're exactly right, the ego gets in the way because all their training has been about the specifics. And, and Glenn, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, yeah. I think you're exactly right, which is, which is why we hear all the jokes that comedians make or people make about the suits who are making decisions yeah. who have no idea about what's going to connect with an audience yet, right. you know, and um, it, it's, it's one of the most frustrating things in business to me. And I see the pendulum turning because part of what I'm seeing is the fundamental flaw that you have one group of people making promises to customers. You have a completely separate group that's responsible for delivering on that promise to customers and they're yeah. not communicating with each other. Right. The CEO that thinks they're above it because what they're supposed to look at is the share price or the, and, and what we're seeing is those companies that have become cliches because everybody talks about them so much, but there's a yeah. reason that they're there. There's a reason that we talk about Starbucks and Southwest airlines and Apple and Nordstrom and those it's yeah. because they are the outliers because they understand the importance of the customer experience being the most important thing that the CEO can be worried about. And, and, and that all of those companies you just named <clears throat> Nordstrom's like you go into Nordstrom's it, it's the customer service is insane. It's yeah. absolutely insane. You go to go to an Apple store or call Apple care with a problem. I mean, we're almost, it's almost like we're, we're already programmed to expect a bad experience when we yeah. call 1-800 help me with my problem. And, and man, Apple, I've never had a bad experience ever. And I've called yeah. them. Yeah. So I, I tell the story. It's before I moved uh, full-time to Vegas or I'd lived here and then I'd moved back to Indiana. So I wasn't living in Vegas at, at that particular time. But I'm, I'm on a flight coming here to give a speech at, at Caesars Palace. And, you know, you can, some of them have the seat back TV and I'm on Delta and I'm watching and Apple, Tim Cook had just taken over, right? So it's a, the first new product after Tim Cook took over. Yeah. And it was a, the new MacBook Pro. Well, my laptop was about, you know, over the hill. And so I was going to going to get a new laptop anyway. And the surprise was they were available starting today. You know, usually with Apple, yeah. it's, we'll announce it and then three weeks from now or a month from now. Okay. It's yeah. available starting today. But what he didn't say was, uh, was it available online to order or was it available actually in the store? So land in Vegas, I'm waiting on my bag. I call the Apple store at the forum shops. It's attached to Caesar's palace where I was speaking. Yep. And this guy comes on, his name is Josh, and he's so friendly and so nice. And he said, you know, we heard the announcement too. I know we don't have any in stock, uh, but we get a shipment tonight or this evening. He said, I don't know if there's going to be one in there or not. Give me your number and I'll, I'll let you know, you know, tomorrow morning. Okay, so I give him my number and um, 
I've got a morning speech. So I give the speech, you know, you turn your phone off. And so I, I give the speech and I turn my phone on and I see these called, but the forum shops are just right over there. I mean, yeah. around the corner from where I'm speaking. So I walk into the Apple store. You know how they got the people with the hair yep. the headphone yeah. and walk in and I said, yeah, I'm here to check on. And all of a sudden the gal goes like this says, are you Mr. McCain? I went, yeah, this is really great. I said, yeah. She said, well, You're Josh. Would like to meet Terry? You. Yeah. I said, Josh would like to meet you. What? And so this guy comes up, young guy, looks like he's just out of college, introduces himself. Hi, Mr. McCain. My name's Josh. I said, Josh, you're freaking me out. How how in the world did you know? Yeah, Joe's, yeah. Uh, I said, how in the world did you know? He said, well, I really like to know my customers. And so when I got your name, he said, I just did a Google search and I found your website, saw the story you tell about the cab driver. Gosh, that's really great. I showed it to other people here at the store. And, and he said, gosh, I just, I'm so interested. And he said, I went on Amazon, I've ordered your book. And I'm like, I'm like, what? And he said, now here's the news. He said, we got our shipment in last night and we got, we got one of those new laptops. Uh. Do you want it? <laughs> Okay. So at this point, do you think, I don't know, Josh, what's the best deal that you can what make? You? <laughs> I got to call my, I'm like, I, I, yeah. <laughs> so, so, so awesome. And, and, you know, he hands it to me and he says, now, Mr. McCain, if you will do the honors of unwrapping the first of the new MacBook Pros. that Oh, my made. God. So I unwrap it. And I mean, they look at it like, you know, like they've opened the, the, Thing from Raiders of Lost Ark. And so we get it all set up. And uh, as I'm walking out, Josh says to the entire store, ladies and gentlemen, a round of applause for Mr. McCain, who just purchased the very first of the new line of MacBook Pros. <laughs> and all the employees kind of make like a, a, a parallel line and they're applauding as I'm walking down. Now they didn't realize what I do for a living. Cause usually when I hear applause, I talk for about an hour and a half. So <laughs> yeah, right. they, were, they were lucky I got out of the store. Right. So I, I'm like, blow. so now I go back to my room at Caesars. Right. And I take out my new computer and uh, I, You're I, in tears. I, Are you crying? Oh, I, I, it's been an emotional experience. I, yeah, I know. Your computer, it's been so long since I had one. And so I, Apple fanboys like me knew that Steve Jobs' email address was sjobs at apple.com because he yeah. would occasionally respond to customers. So yeah. I'm thinking, what what would Tim Cook's, so T. Cook at Apple? So I write about what Josh did, and I send it to Tim Cook at Apple. Okay, so now I go get some lunch. I come back, open up my new computer. Look, there, there's a message that says, T. Cook at Apple. Hey, Scott, thank you for sharing your experience. My goal is that every customer feels the way that you do today. Best regards, Tim. Now, I got it. I'm thinking, what a great team they've got at Apple that reads Tim Cook's email <laughs> and responds to people like me. Right. So now my phone rings and it's Josh who said, holy crap, Tim Cook just called the store. Shut up. Are you kidding me? 
<laughs> Tim Cook is called Josh is golden at Apple. Right? <laughs> right? So here's the other thing. So I did a video that I put on YouTube about, hey, here's my experience. Wow. You know, I told the Josh story. So then Tim Cook sends it to every Apple store. Fast forward like nine months, and now they've got a new iPhone coming out. I was speaking in Austin, Texas. I'm in the line, you know, just hoping I can get to the front yeah. to get the new iPhone. And you know how they come and they hand you water or they give you yeah. a little cookie or whatever. And the guy stops and went, dude, you're the Josh guy. Oh, my God. Come on. Are you? Come on. It was the coolest. It was the coolest. Dude, bad camp. Is that true? It's absolutely true. Now, here's the bad news. He didn't take me out of line and get me a phone. Oh <laughs> right. Josh would have. <laughs> but he knew I was the Josh guy. It was it was so cool. So crazy. But, but here's the thing. Yeah. Apple, in terms of market capitalization, is the biggest company in the world. But yet yeah. this CEO takes time every day, I learned. He takes time every day to read comments from frontline customers. I'll bet you. Do, do you think the CEO of, pick a random company, Chevron, is reading emails from people that pump gas today? I don't. Do you think that the CEO of Ford is is reading any customer comments about what happened to the dealership in Des Moines today? I don't. Worse than that, how about the CEO of a company with 50 employees? Yeah. They have no excuse. And I've said and, that. And you know they're not. They're well, not all of them, no, but there's no. a lot of them. They don't get they it's people hit these certain levels and then they just like don't they stop caring. And, and 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 you know what? And and I, God, we're we're over an hour. I'm sorry, but That's like, right. you know what? I think and and it just occurred to well, I mean, we've talked about this this coronavirus whole pandemic thing that's going on. It is. I I think it's going to reset a lot of industries. I think it's going. It literally is. Like if you don't, if you did not care about your customers prior to this. You're probably screwed. Yeah. I think what we're doing now at this moment is going to have a significant impact on, on how customers perceive you when we get out of this moment. Amen, man. What you say and what you do. Oh, thank you, Glenn. Thank you, Jill. And here's the other thing. You know, I've done a lot of speaking for Remax. They're a great company and a very good friend of mine ran Remax for Indiana. Now he has all of New England, Boston, the whole New England coast. And one of the things that they've said to me that's kind of surprising, that not the leadership team there, but realtors have said, yeah. is that, you know, a good recession every once in a while is really good for our industry. And I'm like, why, why is that? I said, oh, not from a financial standpoint. Yeah. But there's a lot of wannabes in this business that aren't committed to their clients and aren't committed to this, you know, this job, this industry. Yep. And a recession kind of cleans out the wannabes. And I, I've seen that in the speaking profession is yeah. that when times are good and people are booking, they can cut their fee and they can get booked on some stages and, and, and they don't help the industry because they have no depth of experience or seriousness about the craft from which to speak. 
and a, a recession like we had in 2008, 2009, wipe those folks out. Well, now here we, here we go again. You know, and, and so I think part of what's going to happen is it's going to clear out the unqualified, yeah. and it's it's also going to prove to us who really cares. Yeah, you know, with with our clients and and whether it's in terms of speaking or even what I'm moving into in terms of personal coaching and and yeah. that part of what I'm saying is one of the most powerful things you can do right now is stop selling. Yep. Now, don't get me wrong. We got to conclude transactions. But I mean, selling is it's thought of of talking about our products and pushing our solutions. The most powerful thing I think we can do right now is just reach out and say, how you doing? You know, how, how can I help? You know, I, I care about you. What a crazy time this is. You don't have to have. I, I think many of our customers, this is so new to them. They don't even know what question to ask. And then here we are trying to come with our solutions and our answers before the question has even been asked. And, yep. and, and so the greatest thing that we can do right now, the best thing we can do right now is, is just show them that we sincerely care and, and not try to push and, and you know, I talk a lot about story in, in my books. And, and one of the things that, that I've realized is that I don't believe in what's been called story selling where the goal of the story is to close the sale. Right, right. I think the goal of the story is to establish connection, to create an experience. The result of that will be a sale. But that's what happens as the result, as, as Joe says, as the byproduct of the natural progression of our relationship because we've engaged. If, if you tell me a great story, that really makes me illuminate something for me or motivates me or connects us. Yeah. The natural result is that you and I are going to, are, are, are going to have a transaction, but you know, there's, there's the thing. So many of these businesses in part because the ego, as you mentioned earlier, Ken, and in yeah. part because many executives are compensated based on what happened that quarter, we've really lost the focus that we need on the lifetime value of customers to our business? What is the lifetime value that they will bring to our business? And that is found in customers. One of, one of my best clients, he, he started working at one company in Indianapolis, and then he got a, a, a great job in Columbus, Ohio. And then he took another box with Nationwide. Then he took, from there he moved to another company in New Hampshire, and then from there, he moved to another company in Colorado, all wow. at C-level positions. Uh, he's been one of my greatest clients. So the, the person was the client, right? The individual was the client. Was Nationwide my client? Well, yeah, they, they signed the checks. But really, it was Bruce. Yeah. And, and Harvard recently said that the fundamental change in B2B is it's become more like B2C. It's, yep. it's like a, it's the relationships that we have with each other. And if all we're trying to do is to twist arms, I'm on a rant here, but give me just one no, second. I'm I don't want to too much of your time, but I, give me one second to finish this rant. I, I, I keep hearing sales as a numbers game, and that's, that's exactly right. Sales is, in one analysis, a numbers game. But here's the problem. Most salespeople only consider one number. They don't yep. look at the total 
horizon. Right. Here's my example. If, if they come out with a vaccine and the vaccine cures 70% of the people with the coronavirus, we would think, oh, what a successful vaccine. Until we realize it's given 90% of the people that take it heart attacks. Right. Right. Now, right. We're kind of looking at both of those, right? Yeah. Right. Yet we see all these people that are constantly fogging out high pressure messages trying to sell. Yeah. And they say, oh, if I send more messages, I'll sell more because sales is a number game. Never analyzing how many people unfollow them on their first pushy email. And they'll never get a chance to serve those people ever again because they're instantly unfollowed yep. because of the tone and nature of their pushy approach. Now, it might be working. It might not be working. But I know very few people that look at the total horizon of all the numbers of who's not responding. Who have we alienated? I, I, got right. a, I got a jerky response the other day from somebody that said, oh, you, you know, you don't know. Sales is a numbers game. It's not about related, not about that. And all I did was a quick Google search. I, I found right. that the person worked at a car dealership where I had purchased four cars over my life. Wow. So I, I wrote back to him and I said, now look, if you would have done as much research on me as I did on you, you would know I've already spent a hundred thousand plus dollars with where you do business. I'm a potential customer for you in the future, but yet look how you've alienated me based on. Yep. Never look. Ne ne never look. Yeah. Because it's we we push too much, and we've, we've got to move away from that. I got you know along this line. I got to bring up Tom Ziegler. I think you're friends with Tom, aren't you? We're acquainted. So, I don't know Tom well, but I'd sure like to because I'm such a fan of his dad. That's, that's I love Tom. He is an amazing human, and and he's been on the show, and he's a friend of mine. I mean, we're not probably sure. as close as you and I are, but Tom's a good dude, and 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 I'll never forget this this statement he made he said you know that you know he said you know the old saying people don't care about how much you know until they know how much you care right he goes well dad added something on to that statement and it and it goes like this people don't care about how much you know until they know how much you care dot 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 about them it's and and that goes that all boils down to what you're talking about. You are literally speaking to my heart, and that is exactly why, behind your back, Glenn and I talked about you, and oh. and we were like, we we're like, we got to get him on the show with us, yeah, man. Like, well, and it's it's such an honor to call you a friend. Like, dude, I could sit here honestly. This is the longest. <laughs> I think we just beat. Beat Glenn actually. It's not just like that too to me. I don't know about you, but it's. I looked up the clock and I just I couldn't believe it. Hey, get one other quick thing before. And yeah, mentioned here. Oh, those car guys. Uh, my biggest client right now is is Volkswagen Group Australia. I, I've been going to Australia four times a year and we're working with the Volkswagen, Audi, Porsche, Bentley, Lamborghini dealers over there. And you know that's that's one of the things that 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 we've been talking about with them, or that I've been talking about with them there is that, man, think of the lifetime value. You know, the, the person that buys the Volkswagen from you today may buy the beautiful Audi from you uh, five years from now. 
but yeah. you have to stay in touch. You build relationships and, and we've got to move from transactional thinking. One of the things we've, we've helped them with there. And one of the things we, we like talking about is the subscription aspect. Think about a lease as a subscription. So yep. what you want to do is, as the lease is coming up, help them to continue to subscribe. And what do you do with a subscriber? You stay in touch with them. You make sure you're relevant with them. You And, yeah. and there, there are just these tweaks that we could all be doing in any industry, in any business, yeah. that is going to find a way to connect us at a deeper level and a, and a and customers are happier and we are too. And those are things that we can all make happen. I think that it, it, everybody on here needs to go buy every single one of your books. I would not like, be opposed to that at all. <laughs> <laughs> you know what that, I hope you do, Ken, and I, I appreciate you running the crawl there. What I'd hope they do, we, we have a site called distinctionnation.com. It is how I stay in touch with everybody. There is a free, there's, there, there are free resources there because I, I, I'm privileged to bring this message and I, I want to make sure that it gets out. So, for example, there are free ebooks there. There are free reports there. There's even a free 14-day audio program there that aligns your priorities in life with your goals, with your daily actions. So it creates congruency, which is one of the important things about distinction. You just listen to one of the audios every day for 14 days. There's a video on there about how you take a priorities test to greater understand what your priorities are. It's all there. It's absolutely free if you just go sign up at distinctionnation.com. Man, uh, I, I'm telling you, like this, this is is one of my. I, I say this often too. I've said this before. Like this is one of my favorite interviews. But like, dude, this like, well, it helps that you and I are really, really, you know, yeah. we've we've become good friends. We talk a lot. Huh? Real life friends, as opposed, yeah. you know. Yeah, but I, I mean, it does help the the connection that you and I have, and and you know, the show that we're doing on Sunday nights. I, I, I would be remiss if I didn't say, make sure that you're you're following the Ken and Glenn show with a guy named Scott. Um, we may have to change that. I, I, I think I'm starting to feel the same way, Glenn. You know. The Ken and Glenn and Scott show, maybe, or <laughs> we, we were joking on the first show. I needed to change my name to Sven. <laughs> I mean, Ken and Glenn and Sven. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that would be. I mean, and and for everybody watching, and dude, I I've seen a ton of people share this out. So thank you to everybody who shared oh, this out. And and man, if you didn't pick up something from from listening to Scott today, then I'm not sure there's hope for you. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. But dude, like you, you have so much experience and wisdom and I, I just, I love it. I absolutely, this, this has been amazing. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. Thank you. Well, and I'm, I'm grateful you would have me on. And by the way, as, as we are transitioning our business, I, I, I hate using the word pivot, I'm hearing a lot of folks use pivot, and I, I I don't like that. Here's the reason why: pivot means you're turning away from something too, right? Yeah, right, right. I'm thinking about I'm going to embrace more things, right? I'm 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 not going to pivot away from what I've established, but I want to embrace more as well. And and so as as I'm going through this process of uh, reloading, rebooting, you know, expanding what services are that I'm doing. Uh, yeah. 
your online program about how to do this has been immensely valuable. And I just cannot recommend it highly enough. And, and I hope you've seen wow. over the past few days on the program that I do at the noon Pacific, three o'clock Eastern every day, uh, I, I have employed your suggestions and I will continue to do so as I continue to learn from the course. But I, I can't thank you enough for yeah. uh, not only the friendship, but also the, the quality and the value of the education and the training that you're providing has impacted wow. me. And I know it's impacting everybody that, that, that takes that course. So that, that dude, that you said something to me the other day about that. And I literally was like, you gotta be kidding me. Cause I, I look at you, like, I see you on this, this, like you're, oh. you're just to say that to me means everything. Oh, I mean, yeah. man, I tell you, we all have to be students, right? I mean, we, yeah. we all have our fields of expertise and we yeah. need to grow in that. I mean, you never stop learning there, but man, if you stop learning, then you're, you're toast. And particularly in today's world, it happens quicker. That, that is, that's another example where your microwave analogy, Ken, is spot on. Yeah. And man, I tell you, I, I, you, you have taught me so much in that and I, I continue to learn and wow. you know, just to have the privilege of sharing with you is, is uh, over the moon. So, Thank you for having me today. So, <laughs> I hope wow. I didn't take up too much uh, too much uh, time here, but it's uh, oh my gosh, this is I, I again I could stay on for another hour with you, man. I, this is phenomenal. So um, thank you for everything. Thank you to everybody who's watched and shared. And Scott, you're you're one of my favorite people in the world. And and look, we got to bring up your wife. I mean, Tammy. Yes. Your wife is just. I kicked my coverage, <laughs> <laughs> and, and you should know because you did too. So. Yes, I did. Yeah, dude. <laughs> and Jill, Jill loves your wife. I mean, yeah. you guys are you're amazing. I can't wait to be able to fly out to Vegas and go to dinner, or have you guys come to Columbus or whatever. But. Yeah, man. So thank you all for watching. Scott, thank you again for being on and sharing so much wisdom. I don't even feel like we covered everything, but we covered a lot. So thank you. I appreciate it, Ken. Look forward to talking to you again soon and Sunday night at eight o'clock. <laughs> Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Join us on the Ken and Glenn show with a guy named Scott. See you thank guys. You. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.